Bibles to uh, 2, T- 2 Samuel chapter number 3. 2 Samuel chapter number 3. We will have some references on the screen here. Um, and uh, we will dismiss our junior church at this time, our young people. Uh, this is for grades. What grade are you, Sammy? Fifth. Well, I don't, I don't have time to think through all that, okay? Um, this is for ages below fifth grade. Older folks need to stay in here, okay? And then afterwards, there'll be instruction as far as the Easter egg hunt, and I know they're excited about that. And uh, we did get them a little sugared up in our Sunday school class before service. That wasn't a wise thing to do. Um, I don't like like the fact of that uh, sugar does kind of wire young people up. I always resented that. Of course, growing up, you never wanted to hear that, right? And so I've, I, but I've given up the, I've given up fighting that fact that it does, in fact, take place. So, uh, and if some of you are wondering why there are a bunch of ties that match each other around here, uh, this is a scheme. We didn't, we didn't do this. The men did not do this purposely, okay? Uh, my wife came to me a week ago and she said, uh, I got you and Sammy a matching tie. And she even said, this is yours and you're in Sammy's thing. My oldest uh, boy is named Sammy. Well, actually, my, uh, my middle one got the tie as well, it looks like. Uh, but then I came to church this morning, and I started to see the men showing up with the exact same tie that I was wearing. And uh, lo and behold, come to find out at, our last, at the last ladies' fellowship meeting, uh, this was something that was uh, schemed by the ladies. Um, and so, uh, we, I don't plan on singing, uh, with them. Maybe we, maybe we do need to do that actually at the end or something. I don't know. Um, so, so that's the deal with the ties. All right. Second Samuel chapter three, second Samuel chapter three. Now this is going to be a little bit of a, Oh, maybe not your typical Easter Sunday message. We will allude to the uh, resurrection. And, and the fact of the matter is, the reason we're here on a Sunday morning is because uh, it sets precedent for a worship on the first day of the week is, uh, is how um, we view it. We believe from the word of God. Um, the Bible says in Matthew 28, uh, Mary and the two Marys came to the sepulcher and and uh, they got there, and uh, there was an angel of the Lord that appeared and uh, caused the earth to shake, and uh, the guards fell as if they were dead men, and the angel of the Lord said, fear not, um, I know who you've come to, I'm paraphrasing here, I know why you're here, uh, the person that you're seeking, Jesus, he's not here, he's risen uh, from the dead, and the angel commanded them to go and tell the disciples that Jesus had risen, And on their way to go tell the disciples, both Marys were stopped by the resurrected Savior. And uh, he told them to continue, go on and tell the disciples and tell them that I'm risen. And uh, they fell down and they worshiped the Lord. And uh, because of that day, because of this historic day that we uh, remember and uh, we memorialize this time of the year, because of that, We can have victory over our sin. We can have victory over death, uh, having received Christ as personal Savior, as uh, the payment and forgiveness of our sin. And so that needs to take place in the life of a a human in order to have the confidence that heaven is our home uh, someday. Uh, But then when we get saved, uh, we still live in this body of flesh. We still are tempted Uh, to sin. Uh, We've been forgiven of our past, present, and future sin, our sin in its entirety when we get saved, but we still uh, will be tempted. We still uh, are susceptible to a sin-cursed world. We're going to see a little bit about about that here this morning, and we don't have to live as defeated um, people. Uh, We don't have to live defeated Uh, provided we've been saved, first of all, uh, but then we don't have to live defeated even after we've been saved and and these curses uh, that happen on this sin-cursed earth. 
And so we're going to see some of that here this morning. And uh, I've got a bunch of different titles for the message this morning. One of them is Identify and Crucify. Another one is My Chains Are Gone, kind of going with the theme of the, uh, the music was picked out after the message had been uh, solidified. Um, but nevertheless, there's victory here. It's going to start off a little bit maybe dreary. It's going to start off a little bit maybe, man, it's, there's, there's going to be a lot of bad news that's shared, first of all. Uh, but there is, there's, uh, there's hope at the end. And I think uh, most of you know where we're going with this, where we will go with it. But, but if you don't, don't check out after the first two points, okay? Uh, hold on with me to the third point, and you'll be glad that you did. 2 Samuel chapter 3, 2 Samuel chapter 3, and beginning in verse number uh, 27. Verse number 27. An Old Testament story here about a uh, soldier, a general, Oh, a soldier whose name was uh, Abner, and uh, he was on the side of King Saul. King Saul had been rejected from uh, being king. Uh, The Lord had basically uh, had to put a curse on him for the most part without getting into a whole uh, story there of background, but Abner was fighting for Saul, and uh, the the opponent, uh, the good guy, if you will, was King David. And uh, King David, the one that killed the, uh, the giant, um, slew the giant and such. And so some time had passed. And uh, now um, Saul, uh, Saul was dead. Jonathan, his son, was dead as well. And uh, now Abner, uh, one of uh, Saul's soldiers, realizes that his army isn't going to be able to defeat King David's. And so he basically waves the white flag. He comes to David and surrender and uh, is at the mercy of David, and David uh, forgives him. David accepts his um, surrender. And so just to give you a little background where we pick up here. And when Abner was returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside in the gate to speak with him quietly. Now, Joab uh, was the general of David. He was uh, uh, King David's right-hand man, his fierce uh, soldier, and uh, I believe disobedient right here at this point, uh, but he was, a, he was a soldier for David, uh, and Abner was his opposition. As a matter of fact, Abner's brother had killed Joab's brother in battle previously. But it says here, Joab took him aside in the gate to speak with him quietly and smote him there under the fifth rib. And... Um, that he died for the blood of Asahel, his brother. And afterward, when David heard it, he said, I and my kingdom are guiltless before the Lord forever from the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. Verse 29, look at it. Look at what happened here. Um, so David saw what had happened. Uh, the uh, Joab, the mighty general of David, called Abner over and conspired he basically took a knife, the Bible says, and called him off to the side there. And, and uh, the Bible says he stabbed him under the fifth rib with that dagger, and he died uh, right then and there. Then when David had heard this, David saw what was going on. And uh, the Bible says this, verse 29, Let it rest on the head of Joab on all his father's house, And let there not fail from the house of Joab, one that hath an issue, or one that is a leper, or one that leaneth on a staff, or that falleth on the sword, or that lacketh bread. So Joab and Abishai, his brother, slew Abner, because he had slain the brother of Asahel at Gibeon in the battle. Uh, Let's pray. Father, I need you this morning. God, I pray that you would just work in the hearts of the folks that are gathered here. No doubt some are yours. Uh, Some maybe need to call upon you and ask you as their Savior. But Lord, I pray that you would work in us nevertheless. I pray that we would see the need that we have for you on a daily basis. I pray that we would see the great victory that we can have in and through you because of your resurrection, your victorious resurrection. God, I pray that you'd help us to be 
generational warriors for you as we see that this is a sin-cursed world and uh, you have given that victory. May we claim it for you. Uh, may May you be lifted up this morning and would you draw all men to you in Jesus' name. Amen. In this story, we see here that David had been anointed king of Israel. I got kind of an, it's very echoey. Is Bobby in here? Brother Bob in here? Are you guys okay? Can, is it annoying to you? Okay, it's annoying to me, but um, deal with, bear with it here if you would. In this story, we see that King David had been anointed uh, king of Israel. And there was a war going on between the house of Saul and the house of David. And uh, the house of David was waxing stronger and stronger. And the house of Saul was waxing weaker and weaker. And we get to this chapter here, chapter number three, and it becomes more evident to Abner, who is the uh, general of Ishbosheth of the house of Saul, that General Joab and David are going to win uh, the battle. And uh, so, um, I guess maybe a, a chivalrous person or somebody maybe that goes, I've heard that there are no rules in, in what, in love and warfare, right? Uh, but uh, um, uh, Abner is um, hoping for um, a little grace. He's hoping for kindness. He's hoping that his, his uh, motive of surrender will be accepted and that he'll find grace in the sight of David, and he does. We get to chapter 3 here, and, and uh, there is a, an, an argument, and Abner says that he's going to surrender, he's going to defect to the house of David, and maybe, just maybe, he'll find mercy in the house of David. Now, Abner has killed many of David's men in battle. He had defeated many of David's armies, but he said, just maybe I'll find mercy in the heart of David, and Uh, Maybe I'll find mercy for all of my wrongs. Maybe I'll find mercy for all of my sins. And I'll find mercy for all that I've done against the house of David. And and he humbles himself and he goes to David. And and, uh, he, uh, I can imagine him taking a knee, going before David. I'm at your mercy. I'm at your your call. Whatever you you want to do uh, with my life there. Well, guess what he finds? He does find grace in the eyes of David for all of his sins and he finds mercy in the eyes of David for, uh, and forgiveness in the heart of David for his sins. Yet Joab, the general of David, says to Abner, he says no, basically. And he says, uh, this will not stand. Abner, he killed my brother some time ago in battle. And uh, he doesn't, I don't think he says this vocally or verbally nevertheless, but I can imagine it's kind of a slap in your face. I can see where Joab is coming from. Somebody killed my brother in battle, I wouldn't want to stand for it either. I wouldn't want to be giving him mercy as well. I'd, I'd be the hothead and in, and in anger as well. I'd at least, the very least, go to King David and I'd be like, King, what are you doing? He killed my brother in battle. How can we let this stand? And, and uh, well, there's got to be humility somewhere, you know. But uh, Joab takes him aside and he whips out a dagger. He calls him over and I can imagine Abner thinks that David, or uh, uh, I can imagine that Abner thinks maybe Joab is going to give some words to him or something of that nature. He gives some words to him, but even more than that, the Bible says he stabs him under the fifth rib and he dies. Well, David sees that and David comes over and, and he looks at Joab and this is what King David says to his right-hand man, Joab, after he kills uh, Abner here. In verse 29, we read it. David basically says, I'm innocent of this. He says, let it rest upon you, Joab. Uh, You're going to receive the the consequences of uh, your actions for killing Abner. I want nothing to do with it. And he says says this in so many words. Don't let the curse come on me and my house, but let it rest upon you, Joab. Let the curse rest upon you. Uh, Look at verse 29 we see that there is a basically a five-fold curse that is declared upon Joab and his household. And David says this, I believe this is ordained of God, that David says this, God allows it to happen in his sovereignty, and he says, let it rest upon the head of Joab and all his father's house, 
And let there not fall from the house of Joab, here's the fivefold curse, one that hath an issue. You heard of the woman with the issue of blood. Uh, an issue could be any type of a disease or something of that nature. He says, David says this curse upon Joab, uh, one that hath an issue, or one that is a leper, or one that leaneth on a staff, a, a crippled person, uh, somebody that leaneth on a staff, needs, needs a crutch of some sort, or number four, or that falleth on the sword. Let death be upon the household. And number five, or that lacketh bread, poverty, um, lack of sustenance. And so David sees this and he says, God, I'm, I'm, I'm innocent of this. Let all of the consequence rest upon Joab and the curse be upon him. Now, I want you to get this in your mind. I want you to try to encapsulate uh, the scenario of what's going on. Um, Joab's babies are little when this happens. His children are, are just infants, and yet Joab has just, uh, God has just ordained uh, that they are going to be under a curse because of what their father had done. That doesn't seem fair to me. That doesn't seem fair to me that the kids that had nothing to do uh, with uh, the murdering of Abner uh, would have to suffer the consequences of their father's sin, but that's what the Bible says was supposed to happen in this story. They didn't know that their dad, what their daddy had done. They didn't understand that their, what their father had done. They didn't realize what their father had allowed in their bloodline, if you will. And, uh, but I wonder, uh, after some time had passed and their father was dead, I wonder if there was anyone down the line there, any of his kids, any of the kids' kids, uh, that uh, uh, could be heard saying, God, it's not fair. Why me? Why am I leprous? God, why are we in poverty? God, why am I a cripple? Why am I lame? God, why is it that, that uh, people keep dying in my family? I wonder if there was ever leprous kids that would say, Lord, I deserve better than this affliction. Why me? But they didn't realize that it wasn't God picking on them, but their father had opened up a curse into their bloodline, and they were dealing with a generational curse, not the misfortune of God. Folks, I talk with and I, I deal with folks all the time who will st say stuff like this, that make the statement, similar statement, man, I, I can't seem to shake this, and then you fill in the blank of what sin it is. I can't seem to get victory over this, and you fill in the blank of a, of a, a plaguing sin, an addiction, and I want to say what it is this morning. We'll identify them further here shortly. They are generational iniquities. They are generational sins that were never identified and never crucified. They were just brushed off. They were just, they weren't considered. There are curses in the Bible, and a curse is not just something that's derived from Walt Disney and his princess stories. But they are found in the Bible. As a matter of fact, um, God actually uses the word curse in the Bible several times, 109 times to be exact, in the form of curse or curses. I encourage you, get if you've got a, got a nap or maybe a Strong's or uh, some type of a concordance, go into the back and look up the word curse, and you'll find 109 times the word curse is used in God's holy word. There are curses in the Bible of those that uh, go and seek after witches and neochromancers. There are curses mentioned on people that commit adultery. There are curses in the Bible on those that curse their mother and their father. Over 40 different curses, and God says this, if you do this, it will follow you into your bloodline. It's a curse. Folks, we need to understand that our God never changes. Our God doesn't rearrange the, uh, the way that he operates. And Jesus is the same uh, yesterday and today and forever. And what we uh, sometimes don't understand or don't comprehend or maybe even ignorant to is that you and I are not always dealing with misfortune. 
We're not always dealing with, with just bad behavior and bad mannerisms and bad habits, but sometimes uh, those may be the case, yes. And, and I think a lot of the times, though, uh, we can blame the devil for the consequences of our bad decision-making, but sometimes the reason we do what we do is because of a curse that's been ushered in through the bloodlines by our father, our mother, or a previous generation, and they haven't been dealt with. I know this, is, this, is, this may be hard to understand, hard to receive or even accept, but I'm going to give you scripture here. We're going to see this here. I believe the Bible teaches that curses are actually very biblical, which means very real. I believe this Bible, this book, cover to cover, I don't believe there's any error in it. I challenge you, if you think you've got an error, I'm happy uh, to, uh, to receive what you think might be an error, but I consider this to be 100% truth right here. This is the only constant that you'll find on this planet today. 100% accurate. 100% truth. I want you to consider this this morning. As you think about this idea of generational iniquities, generational curses, I want you to begin to, to just pray in your heart quietly and say, God, is there something? Is there a curse? Is there a generational sin that I am dealing with that you want me to identify and then crucify or confess to him. And we're not going to do anything crazy in here, but at the end, during the invitation, we're going to have an opportunity for you just to even remain in your seat. And as the Spirit of God has spoken to you from, from his word, I believe he does. God talks to me through his word. That's how, that's how he communicates to us primarily in this day that we live. This is God's word, God's, uh, God's, God's holy uh, word. The way we talk to God is through prayer. And so I want you to notice with me this morning the identification of generational sins and the only way to break their chains of bondage. I want you to notice with me, number one, first of all, notice with me the curse. The curse. What is a curse in the Bible? Well, there is a Hebrew word that defines the word curse in the Bible, and it means this. Uh, the word is kalal. Q-A-L-A-L. -A -L. And it means this. It means to execrate, to bring into contempt and despise. It also has the idea of locking someone in a chain. And uh, the idea is this. The picture that I get, an illustration that I get is this. And I'm going to use my son, my oldest son, Sammy. Would you come up here? The idea of a curse is this. Now, now, uh, we're going to see more proof of curses in the Word of God and identify them. We'll see that it's not, so, uh, not, not as spooky as maybe, maybe you might think they are. Okay, the fact of the matter is we are all born into sin. We're all born sin-cursed. How many of you understand that? Say amen. We're all born with a sin nature. Um, I have a, uh, a two-and-a-half-year-old baby. His name, is he two-and-a-half? His name is... He's walking, okay, that, and he's starting to talk. However old he is, I'm not sure. But, but I didn't have to teach him how to do wrong. I didn't have to teach him how to, how to lie. I didn't have to teach him how to go and walk up and hit his, hit his big brothers or walk up and grab a handful of hair and jank it from them. He learned that from his mom, okay? Now, now that's funny, but, but, but that is, that. I mean, that's the case. He... It was passed on, a sin nature was passed on. Yes, it was passed on by me. It was passed on by his mom as well. And so that little kid, that little two-and-a-half-year-old boy, he is a sin-cursed kid. He was born with a sin nature, and he needs to receive Jesus Christ as a Savior as soon as he's able to understand that he has that need. And I've been praying since he was born uh, that he would trust Christ as his Savior. So what is a curse? A curse is the, the, it's, uh, to bring to contempt, to despise. It also has the idea of locking someone in a chain. Whenever a prisoner would be locked uh, in, uh, in prison, uh, there would be a chain put on them. And, and uh, that uh, person, that uh, prisoner, oftentimes, how many of you have heard the old ball and chain? We're not talking about your spouses. Okay, 
uh, the old ball and chain idea. There would be something similar, a chain maybe on the leg, and uh, there would be a heavy ball, different weights at times. And, and so in order, literally, this person would be in, in uh, prison. That prisoner would be in prison, in jail. I'm just going to put this on you uh, for now. Uh, but that would keep that prisoner in a general vicinity. And so if he wanted to try to escape an area, man, it would be all he could to try to pick up that ball. And I think uh, I've seen most of these images on cartoons. <laughs> uh, growing up. The younger generation has no idea what I'm talking about. But um, this ball, this heavy metal ball, and in order to get somewhere, they'd have to carry that around. Well, the fact of the matter is I want you to get that image in your mind there that we are all born with this ball and chain. We're all, we're all born with this... Uh, chain of, uh, of sin in our lives uh, because we inherited that from our parents who inherited from their parents and then ultimately Adam and Eve. I'm getting ahead of myself here. but, but uh, And so we have a general curse of sin that we are all born with, the Bible says. But would you allow me to give you some examples of uh, some curses of generational sins? some particular sins that maybe your family members have been more susceptible to. Maybe there have been certain strongholds, and it could be because of a certain area or region that they lived in even. It could be that, uh, uh, that uh, uh, I don't like to do the whole uh, stereotypical uh, socioeconomical identification. Okay, I'm the way I am because I grew up on this side of town. Oh, something of that nature, okay? Now, it, it can be. We can be molded and shaped by those, by those certain uh, things in our lives. But, but uh, for the most part, everybody, the fact is, we're all born into sin. We all have this chain that we're born with, this uh, um, uh, invisible chain of, of, uh, of a sin nature. But then there are some generations, some families that deal with other things. In addition to the general sense that they are sinners, they deal with certain things. Let me, let me give you a, a proof text here uh, so you, you get this idea. Exodus chapter 20, verse 5. We got it, that up there? Okay. It says, uh, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. So what does the Bible say here? The Bible talks about some particular sinners, and it says this iniquity I'm going to visit up to the third and fourth generations of them that hate me. And so the Bible says that iniquity, that sin, can be passed on to the third and fourth generation. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 9, he repeats the verse. If you're taking notes, these are for you to go back and reference to. In Jeremiah chapter 14, verse 20, the weeping prophet, he recognizes, uh, recognizes the sins of his forefathers, and he prays this. How many of you have ever been somewhere, and or you read in the Bible, where they pray for their sins of their fathers? Anybody ever you read a passage where they pray for the sins of... You're, you're basically confessing the sins what your fathers did, what your parents did, your ancestors did. To me, that never really made sense. I mean, I didn't do it. It was, it was them, right? Well, God says here that can be passed down. And the weeping prophet Jeremiah, he says this, We acknowledge, O Lord, our wickedness and the iniquity of our fathers, for we have sinned against thee. So he's praying, he's asking for forgiveness of the sins of his fathers. Many of our lives have been influenced by some type of generational curse, uh, some type of a sin or iniquity. Many young people with a parent uh, that is an alcoholic or a drug user uh, will swear that they'll never become one. But to their amazement, they're tempted to follow in the steps of their forefathers. They are strongly self-willed in some of the same areas that their parents were. It may not be in the area of drugs and alcohol, though. It may be in the areas of anger. It may be the area of bitterness, uh, sexual perversion, depression, 
eating disorders. There have been documented cases of young people who had serious addictions to food and their parents had serious problems with overeating and excessive addiction. Children and adults have a lower threshold. These children in particular have a lower threshold for the sins or iniquities of their forefathers. Therefore, the enemy has them cursed with this lower threshold. What I mean by that, if you're, you're, uh, you're, your parents struggled with this sin, man, it's, it's more accessible for, for him. If I struggle with uh, being an alcoholic, it's more accessible. It's easier for him to become one as well. It's a generational iniquity. It's a generational sin. And so uh, this morning, there is hope, though. And what I want us to do, what I want us to consider is let's identify and let's crucify these generational curses of sin. I'm going to give you a list of these generational uh, curses to consider. I'm going to take just a brief. They're up here. <laughs> you can write them, uh, write them down. I'm going to give you a definition. An angry spirit. Now, Jesus got angry. But his was a righteous anger. But uh, not all anger is good. And so, do you deal with an angry spirit? The root cause of a spirit of anger is tension from past hurts and guilt. And this mixture of pain and guilt is cumulative. And it erupts in anger uh, when new offenses remind us of past experiences. I think of a suicidal spirit. This is a generational iniquity, a generational spirit that can be passed on, that we can be plagued with. Uh, when you experience trauma or situations in life that make you feel like your, your heart could quite literally break under the weight of your depression, and you think it'd be easier if you just ended your life so you didn't have to deal with it. For some, they have the blessing of heaven, yes, but not, not all. Those that aren't saved uh, will not uh, go to heaven. I think of a depressive spirit. A spirit of heaviness uh, accompanies this. But it's an evil spirit, a personality that studies us, studies our weaknesses, and knows how and when to attack. I think of an anxious spirit, a very familiar, very common Spiritual anxiety is a feeling of worry, a feeling of uncertainty or doubt about where we stand with God. Spiritual anxiety deals with our thoughts, it deals with our ideas, it deals with our beliefs about God and who we think God thinks of us. There's a sexual spirit. As we get further and further along in, in a society, the Bible says uh, the Lord will come back uh, like it was as the days of Noah, or no. And I think about what all encompasses this. You know, it's nothing to see as you drive on the highway, negative pictures there, but immoral thoughts and desires outside of the realm of holy matrimony. That is, of course, between a husband and a wife. Homosexuality, bestiality, fornication, and adultery all convey an improper picture of salvation. We're talking about prominent generational sins and oftentimes are carried down through a curse that need to be identified and crucified and thereby broken. I think of a fearful spirit. It includes the idea of feeling unloved by God, avoiding the Bible, avoiding church and or prayer, difficulty engaging in relationships and uh, worry and indecision in making choices and compromising morally. And then number seven, there's, there's an addictive spirit, the spirit of addiction. I mean, so many, so prevalent in our society today. We, uh, we, we and, and, and to no avail, you know, we, we don't think much of these sometimes. I wonder which of these, or I wonder how many of these generational curses of sin have been passed down because they've never been identified, they've never been crucified, and they've never been dealt with. Well, Jesus can give victory. And Jesus does give victory through his shed blood. You see, we're all born into a sin-cursed world with a ball and chain 
of sin on us. And uh, it might have been uh, that your uh, daddy was an alcoholic. Maybe he was an adulterer. Maybe a rage monster. Uh, maybe uh, that of wrong anger. And your great-granddaddy, maybe he was a murderer. Maybe he lived in fear. Maybe he took his own life. Maybe there was an addict in your lineage. In mine, I have alcohol. I have drugs. I have pornography. I have rage. I have hatred. I have a suicidal brother who literally took his life a month ago. A brother who helped, felt hopeless on this earth. And there's a call for me to identify. There's a call for you to identify. And then uh, realize that these are very real curses in your life. And then identify them. Lay them at the altar. And let Jesus give you freedom so that it's not passed down to that next generation. This morning we see the curse or curses that can be passed down. But then notice with me from the scriptures this morning, notice the cause of these curses. So we see these curses, but what is the cause? What is the cause? We saw one example of a curse in, in Joab, uh, this, the story that we read at the beginning there, who in anger and who in unforgiveness and disobedience to King David killed Abner. And as a result, the Bible says that in 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 29, David uh, proclaimed the curse. He said, let it rest on the head of Joab, on his father's house, and uh, it was a five-fold curse we saw. But now, the problem that I have with that is this. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't have a problem with the word of God, but I don't completely understand or comprehend it, I'd say, that uh, David is the one speaking this. And I believe it was done under the inspiration of, of the Spirit of God. But I'm not familiar with who the descendants of Joab are. Okay? Uh, however, it may very well be that uh, because of that, he didn't have those descendants. Because of the curse, he didn't have the descendants because he was cursed. But I think of Saul. I want to give you a couple examples of curse here. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 28. 1 Samuel 28. I think of Saul and the curse that he brought on his family as he disobeyed uh, God. And, and if you're familiar with the story, uh, God told, um, God told uh, Saul to uh, kill uh, King Agag and uh, then utterly destroy everyone uh, that uh, King Agag was over. And so uh, Saul disobeyed. He took the best of the flocks that he had and he took the spoils that he had and uh, he brought the king alive. He didn't kill him. And so as a result of the disobedience, God put a curse on King Saul. And he said this. He, uh, in 1 Samuel 28, verse 15, after that happened, uh, Saul uh, couldn't hear from God anymore. And so he went to a witch, the witch of Endor. In 1 Samuel 28, verse 15, he said this. And Samuel said to Saul, why hast thou disquieted me to bring me up? So so he went to a witch and saw the witch brought up the prophet Samuel from the grave in a, in a spiritual realm uh, somehow. And uh, Samuel said, why hast thou disquieted me to bring me up? And Saul answered, he says, I am sore distressed. The Philistines make war against me and God's departed from me. And he answered me no more, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore, I have called thee that thou mayest make known unto me what I shall do. Then uh, said Samuel, wherefore then dost thou ask of me, saying, uh, seeing the Lord hath departed from thee? Skip on down to verse number 19. We see the curse. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with thee into the, um, with thee into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow thou, sh thou and thy sons uh, be with me. The Lord also shall deliver the host of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. So to summarize it all, Saul disobeyed, God cursed him, cursed his family. He died the next day along with most of his sons. And as a result of hearing of the death of Saul and Jonathan, the Bible says there was a character, there was a lady, a servant lady, a nanny perhaps, if you will, that picked up the great-grandson of Saul, who was the son of Jonathan. And the Bible says that uh, little Mephibosheth, he was five years old. And when this maid heard uh, that her king Saul and master Jonathan had been killed in battle. 
she fled where they lived and she picked up that little boy, little five-year-old. And as she was running out, the Bible says she dropped him on the ground and he was lame. He could never walk again. That curse, that sin of Saul, great, not great, Grandpa Saul was passed on to Jonathan, was passed on to Mephibosheth, and they were dealing with that generational curse. And so that's one of them. I think of the curse of David after the adultery with Bathsheba. If you're familiar with the story, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 7. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. You're the one that committed adultery. You're the one that murdered to try to cover it up. And uh, thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel. And then let's skip on down to verse number, uh, verse number 9. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Uh, now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from thine house because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite because thou hast despised uh, to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine house and I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbor and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of the sun for thou didst it in secretly but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun and so if you're familiar with the curse uh, there David did wrong obviously would you say amen if you understand that David did wrong amen and as a result of that uh, the prophet called him out on his sin and then God cursed and yes, David was a man after God's own heart. And yes, David repented of his sin. He identified it and he crucified it. But nevertheless, he still lived with a cursed family. As a, re as a result David's, uh, of David's adultery and murder, uh, he had hell on earth in his own house until he died. His son was killed by his other son. His daughter was raped by uh, his, uh, his other son. His baby with Bathsheba was killed, but he did identify and he acknowledged his sin and he got right with God. I think of the curse of sin in general, where God mentions it in the New Testament in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Now, this is a critical scripture for, for Christians to understand. The Bible says, wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for all, for that all have sinned. Why am I a sinner? Why are you a sinner? Why is there a curse of sin upon the world? Because of Adam, Adam and Eve. She took of the fruit and she ate it. The devil went against God's word. He questioned God's word and she ate that fruit and she passed it to her husband and he did eat but God held him accountable. And as a result of those two sinners having children, procreating that generation, uh, that sin was passed down uh, to each generation for that all have sinned. We are born with a curse of sin. We are born with this uh, chain uh, around us. And it's sickening, and it's saddening, and it's heart-wrenching, and it's terrible, and it's, but it's not what God wants for you. And it's not what God wants for me. And it's not what God wants for your children. And it's not what God wants for his children when we call upon his name. Not only do I understand, uh, let's see here, where am I? Uh, now this morning, uh, let's take a look at, we've seen, uh, we've seen the curse. What is a curse? We've seen the cause of the curse, uh, but lastly and most importantly, thank you for not checking out completely. Uh, it's it's going to get a little fun and exciting here, okay? You, we, it's okay to say amen. It's okay to raise your hand and, and praise uh, to the Lord for what he's done for you. He's not the one that, 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 uh, that uh, put the curse, well... Uh, he, it's, it's our consequences uh, for that is what uh, gets uh, the curse. But he's made a way of escape. He's made a way of victory. He's made a way that we can break that chain. We don't have to walk around with that chain draped around our necks. We don't have to walk around with that 
ball and chain in a hopeless earth here and then die and go to hell. But we can, uh, we can have hope and we can have victory on this earth while we live here. I understand that as a human and an offspring of Adam that I was born into sin. What exactly is sin? A sin is this. It is anything we say, think, or do that displeases God. Now, I sin because I'm a sinner. But I'm a sinner because I inherited that from my, from my, uh, from my parents. But because of uh, certain sins and, and, and familiar spirits that my parents and my forefathers may have dealt with, with uh, in identifying that they never dealt with and in identifying and crucifying them, I'm especially susceptible to certain things. My sin threshold of certain generational sins is much lower and it's much more accessible to those sins. And if I don't identify and if I don't crucify them, I'm allowing it to go into that next generation. I just I want you to see this. Now, now, not only does he have one of these chains on him when he's born with the lock on there, yes, but uh, because I don't deal with sin, if I don't deal with sin, then I, I, I rope him into that as well. I'm bringing him into that as well. And so when the Spirit of God has revealed to me that, hey, this is, this is a generational sin here. This is something that could have been passed down to you. When I realize that I'm struggling with that sin there, then I need to confess it. I need to identify it. I need to confess it. God, would you give me victory over this sin? I, 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 I confess it to you. I forsake it. Would you wash me with your blood? Would you give me victory in this area? And that's how I can break up a generational curse onto that next generation. But now, God works by principle oftentimes. He never changes. And uh, the same things that were sinned 2,000 years ago, they're still sin today. Amen? Jesus, the same yesterday and today and forever. Uh, but there is, I don't care how much culture changes. You don't care about our, our society is evolving. We're not evolving better, we're evolving worse. It's called the second law of thermodynamics. And it means everything is deteriorating. It is getting worse. Maybe you knew a, maybe you knew a, a fact uh, today that you didn't know yesterday. Well, you're not getting better. No, I'm not getting better. The only way to get better is right there through Jesus. And so there is an age of accountability in salvation. I'm going to break it down here. That age varies from person to person. Maybe this might be an unfamiliar terminology uh, to you, but the age of accountability is when somebody acknowledges that they are a sinner and that they have a need to receive Christ as their Savior. You see, Jesus is the way to heaven. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The Bible says, no man cometh unto the Father but by him. And the only reason we have that promise is because Jesus was buried, he willingly gave his life, he shed his blood, and then three days later he rose from the grave, and that also allows us to have a resurrection when our physical bodies die. Now, that age of accountability ability varies from person to person. Uh, I believe mine was about nine years old. Why do you say that, Pastor Sam? Because that was the day that I understood. I remember that I understood that I was a sinner and that Jesus died on the cross to save me from my sin. And then that was the day I had the opportunity to either accept Christ or reject him. It's the first day that I remember, and I willingly and I gladly received him as my Savior. How could somebody love me so much to die and shed his blood for me? Why would I not receive his payment for my sin? It may, it may be that you'd never heard that before and you're in here this morning. Well, today may be your age or day of accountability. The day that you've been presented with the fact that you have a, a sin nature, you are cursed uh, in, in sin. And because of that, you need the Savior. It was funny, we had some new uh, kids in our class this morning, and uh, I asked a question, and uh, I don't think it had to do 
I don't think I, yeah, I did talk about Jesus, but I, I could tell that the, the kid wasn't really paying attention. But I called on him anyways and, uh, to answer my question. And uh, I think the answer could have been something else, but he said, Jesus. I guess you had to be there, huh? But, but uh, Jesus is the answer for everything. And so I, I, I gave him knuckles and, and uh, yeah, you're right, man. Jesus. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the payment for our sins. Jesus is the way to heaven. Jesus is our victory. Um, and so now it's Easter Sunday. And so let's see how this cure came to be. Uh, we see the cure in uh, Matthew 28. If you want to turn there, you can turn there. We may have the reference up on the screen. But I'm going to, for sake of time, I'm going to read through it here fast. And you're probably familiar with the story. Matthew 28, verse number 1. It says, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, on a, on a Sunday, uh, before uh, the sun came up, came Mary Magdalene and the mother of Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, uh, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the woman, women, fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. Now, if he wouldn't have risen, You'd have to go through life with this chain forever. I'd have to go through this life with this chain of bondage as a slave to sin forever. But because of this event in history, I can have freedom. I can have freedom from my sin and I can go to heaven. But not only that, while I'm in this earth, I can have victory over sin. And I can live an abundant Christian life. And I don't have to pass on that generational curse to the next generation. When I identify and when I crucify. That's what it means. Lay it at the cross. What do you mean by that? Lay that sin at the cross where it belongs. That's what Jesus did. He took all of your sin. He took all of my sin and he bore it on himself and he laid it at the cross. He paid for it. Now, the Bible says that Jesus came to earth uh, to be the payment for our sins, and he died so that we don't have to. All of our sins were placed upon Jesus, and he took those uh, to that cross of Calvary, and he shed his blood that washes our sins away, and he was taken down from that cross, and he was placed in a borrowed tomb. And uh, uh, during uh, the time span of three days and three nights, uh, I believe he went down and he preached to the captives. I don't have it all figured out, uh, but the Bible says he preached to the captives. He set them uh, free and, uh, well, he preached to the captives. And he also got the keys of death and of hell. Turn one more spot. Revelation 1. Revelation 1. Revelation 1. Man, take this verse to heart. Write it down. Put it in your pocket. Write in the flyleaf of your Bible. Whatever, whatever you decide to do, take this verse here and remember this verse. Depression, anxiety, fearfulness, addiction. Revelation 1, verse 8. Jesus said this, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Jesus went down there. He's in that tomb. Three days, I don't know exactly what was going on, but he, he went and he preached to the captives and he went down wherever he went and he got the keys of death and of hell and he took that key and he put it in that, you know, proverbial lock there and he bust that chain 
off of you. He's taken that chain off of you. You don't have to live in that bondage. You can be saved. You can have freedom in salvation. You can have freedom in Christ. You don't have to mull around in, in hopelessness and in despondency. You can be saved. You can be on your way to heaven. You can become a child of God to as many as received him. To them gave he power to be called the sons of God, even to them that believed on his name. Amen if you're a child of God. Now, that is, that is, that's what happens when, when a person gets saved, when they receive Christ as their personal Savior. He breaks that chain. You, you've, you've been, you have victory over that sin once and for all. Uh, once saved, always saved. When you get saved, you're, you're locked in God's hand. For my sheep hear me, and, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. I, uh, My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Okay, You've been saved. You've been forgiven of all your sin if you've been saved. But we still are in these bodies of flesh. If I hadn't identified that those, those generational iniquities, I've passed those on to my son. And although my son may have gotten saved, I, be, I believe he's got a testimony of salvation. He's, he's acknowledged that he's a sinner and he asked Christ to be a savior back in uh, Phoenix, Arizona area uh, a few years back. And uh, so he has received Christ as Savior, he's broken from that, from that uh, bondage of, uh, of having to go to hell because of his sin. But there are generational sins, generational iniquities. I mentioned some of those to you that, that go along in my lineage. Maybe different for you. Maybe the same for you. You know, you can be set free. And as a result of that death, as a result of that burial, that victorious resurrection, and having the keys of death and hell, anybody that comes to Christ in repentance and faith in Him can be set free. But you know, we go on in life even after we get set free in salvation. You're blowing the illustration, buddy. Uh, and uh, we need uh, to get victory over certain sins uh, of bondage that... That, uh, that, that may have been passed down. Yeah, we inherited a sin nature, but there are certain strongholds that, that we may have been passed on with or, or we may pass on to. You've maybe got that generational iniquity of a sensual spirit or of an addictive spirit or a spirit of anger or a spirit of suicidal or, or depressive or anxiety, and you've passed it on because you've not dealt with it, and maybe even out of ignorance. I didn't realize the the importance of that, Pastor Sam. You've not identified and you've not crucified it. You, you, you still maybe think it's okay in moderation. Well, adultery is not okay in moderation. Fornication is not okay in moderation. Murder is not okay in moderation. Drunkenness is not okay in moderation. Depression and anxiety is not okay or good in moderation. And those, those sins can be passed down and have been passed down, maybe have been passed down to you. You say, what can I do, Pastor Sam? I had an old preacher, an old pastor that once said this. He challenged us to be a generational warrior. Be a generational warrior. What does that mean? That means I determined in my heart that as I've seen the truth from God's word, that I no longer, uh, I no longer, I want that curse to stop in my generation. I don't want to pass it down. And so I'm acknowledging it, and I'm crucifying it. And I'm sending it to hell where it belongs. I decided some time ago, as I realized that some of these generational sins ran in my family, and I still see them very prevalent and evident in some of my uh, family members today. I'm, I'm, I'm not mad at you. I'm, just, I'm not mad at them. I'm just simply stating the fact here. I decided that I don't want it anymore. And God has given me victory when I identified it and when I crucified it, when I put it at the cross. Now, you say, what can I do, Pastor Sam? 
I want to encourage you to be a generational warrior. Break that curse of sin. End it with your generation today. How do we do that? Identify it and crucify it. When David had sinned in adultery and murder, he confessed it to God. And in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13, the Bible says, And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And uh, Nathan said unto David, uh, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. What did he do? He identified and he crucified. The Bible says in 1 John chapter, uh, uh, 1 John uh, 1, verse 9. Now, John was written to believers. First John was written to believers. He says this, if we confess our sins, what did he do there? Identify. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Crucify. Identify. Crucify. I want to encourage you this morning to be that generational spiritual warrior that ends up uh, uh, that, that, that ends up uh, uh, plaguing, uh, the, that putting a, an end to that generational curse of sin. Put it to death. Bind the devil in the name of Christ. Loose those strongholds of that curse. There is a curse of sin that we're all born with. Yes, we see the cause of sin is Satan, and it's passed on from generation to generation, from Adam and Eve. And uh, most importantly, or most excitingly, there is a cure, and his name is Jesus. He died on the cross. He shed his blood, and three days later, he rose from the grave, allowing us to have the victory that we so desperately need. Have you received him? I want to encourage you this morning. If you've not been saved, if you've not trusted Christ as your personal Savior, hey, get those chains broken today. Get that, get that uh, sin curse off of you. God never intended you to live like that. Get saved. But maybe you've been saved. And you say, Pastor Sam, I, I still deal with these, these strongholds in my life. I still deal uh, with this spirit of, of, of this, of that. Identify, crucify. You know, you know what this is? You know what this represents? This represents the devil playing head games with you. Hey, uh, you, yeah, maybe you're saved, but you still struggle with this. You're a loser. You, you don't have, you can't do this. You're, you're, identify and crucify. Get rid of that. Now in a minute, we're going to have our invitation song. The piano will play, and, and we're going to give them an opportunity. What we do is, is to maybe reflect upon the message and see how the Lord uh, has spoken to our hearts from his word. Uh, Holy Spirit deals with hearts. I've been in church services before where it didn't even have anything to do with the message, but I believe the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart about something. And so I came to an altar and uh, I prayed to the Lord and I made a decision for him. So we're going to do that here shortly. And what I want to do, the invitation is going to be two-part. I want to help you this morning. I believe, no doubt, we've got folks that are in here that have been saved. Uh, we know that. You've trusted Christ as Savior. You've broken that, uh, that you've, you've, you've cast those chains off, uh, and uh, you know of your eternal destination will be heaven. Uh, but uh, maybe there's somebody here this morning, and you're, you're struggling with that, that, that plaguing generational curse. Identify and crucify. I'd like to ask every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. Every head bowed and every eye closed. We consider this a very important time of a service, church service. Decisions of eternal value are, are made during times like this. As the piano plays, I'm gonna, I want to talk to you just for a minute. May I help those of you that have identified maybe some generational sins within your family, within your life? Can I help you in a prayer uh, to crucify those sins? To tell God, tell God something of this uh, nature. I want to help you word a prayer. Maybe, maybe you struggle with one of those generational spirits that that was mentioned at the beginning of the message. Maybe depression. Maybe have you ever had a suicidal thought, anxiety, addiction, anger, 
sexual improper thoughts there and maybe even actions, may I help you identify and crucify those sins. Tell God this. Now, this is for saved people here. You know that you're saved, but you still you struggle with some things here. Now, first of all, identify. Ask the Lord. Ask the Holy Spirit. Say, God, in the privacy of your chair, say, Lord, would you search my heart? Holy Spirit, search my heart. Would you reveal a generational iniquity, a generational sin, or something that I that, that has been passed down uh, for me that I know this person, maybe you don't even know that they struggled with it, but you struggle with it. Holy Spirit, would you reveal, reveal it to the person? Tell God, say, dear Lord, I, I believe that you died and shed your blood. I believe that you were buried and rose from the grave three days later in victory over sin and over death and hell. Now tell God this. Say, Lord, I have identified a certain sin or sins that have plagued my family. You've revealed to me, Holy Spirit, a, a certain sin that I've been dealing with. And by your grace and through your power, by your authority, I confess those to you. In the privacy of your seat, would you do that? Would you do that? Holy Spirit, would you search hearts? Holy Spirit, would you reveal generational sins, generational strongholds? Say, God, I crucify that today. I give it to you. I wash it by the blood of Jesus. I claim the victory that you've given in the privacy of your seat. Why don't you confess to God, spirit of anger, suicide, depression, anxiety, fear, a sexual or addictive spirit in the name of Christ and by and through his power, I claim victory over these curses. God, help me to be a generational warrior for you, it stops right now. Maybe you're here this morning and uh, you don't have that assurance that your eternal destination is heaven. You don't know without a shadow of doubt. Maybe you're 99% maybe you're sure that you'll go to heaven when you die. I want to say this, you can be 100% certain God wants you to be 100% certain. Is there anybody here who'd say, who here would say, Pastor Sam, I do know that if I died that I'd go to heaven. I do have the promise of a home in heaven. I have received Christ as my Savior at one time in my life. I did that. Would you slip your hand up if that's your testimony? You've received Christ as Savior. Many hands. You may put your hands down. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Many hands were raised, but not every hand was raised. I appreciate your honesty there, and I do want to say this. Our church would rejoice if it's something that you need to get settled, and you got settled. There's no reason to be embarrassed whatsoever. But if you're here this morning, you say, Pastor Sam, I'm not certain that if I died that I'd go to heaven. I don't know without a shadow of a doubt that when my physical body dies, I'll spend eternity in heaven, but... If I could know, I sure would like to. I'd like to pray for you. I'd like to pray for you. Is there anybody here who would, who would uh, uh, in the privacy of your chair, slip your hand up and say, Pastor Sam, would you pray for me? Pray that I get my eternal destination settled. Pray that I would, I would get it settled, that I would know I'm going to heaven. Slip your hand up right now if that's you. Slip your hand up so that I can pray for you. Slip it right up. All right. As the piano plays here this morning and, and uh, we continue this invitation time, we're going to sing a stanza of an invitation song. What I'd like to ask you to do is let's all stand. Let's all stand.